looking on scripture with today. Let's see if I can get this to work. It's not going to work. I didn't want to go to my next slide. It basically says, God is good. Oh, well. It's just the, the, the sermon slide there. But um, we're picking up where we left off last week. We talked about um, what it means when we say God is good. And we talked about a couple things. We defined the word good uh, and, and the word righteous as meaning this. The quality of being morally right or justifiable. Or acting in accordance with divine and moral law. Being free from guilt or sin. And so when we read that, we realized, okay, there's no way... Any of us can accomplish that. Any of us can live up to that standard. So when we say God is good, this is what we're saying. God is acting in accord with his divine creation, everything he's made. Uh, he's, he's acting within his character and that uh, he is free from guilt or sin. Uh, that's, that's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, obviously, we can't attain that. That's not ours to attain. Uh, although God does want us to be conformed to the image of Christ, uh, we will be talking a little bit more about that next week. Um, as we answer the last question in the God is good segment of this. But this week, um, I want to read uh, a scripture here from Psalm 14, 1 through 3. We read last week, uh, and then I'm going to hit last week's points real briefly, and then we're going we're to pick up with today's question. Psalm 14, 1 through 3 that says this, The fool says in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The scripture says it over and over again. It's repeated, uh, Old Testament, New Testament. It says this in verse 2, The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Not even one. Um, wow. <laughs> right? We talked a little bit more about that last week. But uh, as we continue this idea this week, I want to answer a question that we were left with last week. Um, the five points, just real briefly, we talked about God is morally upright and pure. God always does what is right. God is good towards us. God's goodness is unique, and God's love and goodness are unending, and they are certain. That's what we talked about last week, but the question that left us with, with was this. What difference does it make? Uh, yes, God is good. Okay, if we say we, we believe that, we agree that Scripture says that, and we're going to live our lives with this idea that God is good, what does it mean uh, and what difference does it make in my life and in your life if we believe that God is good? Um, you know what? Things can be painful, right? There's, there's unhappiness, there's struggles, there's strife, there's problems, uh, there's issues. We serve a God who loves us and who cares for us and has uh, our best interests at heart. Um, Romans 8.28 talks a little bit about this. This is going to steer the first part of the sermon. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Uh, Lord, teach us today what that scripture really means. That's, that's my prayer. We really get a hold of what this means. Regardless of how our circumstances appear, um, we want to live the kind of life that maintains or reliance upon a good God, right? We trust Him no matter what. We want to, to live where we don't give in to fear. We read that scripture out of Psalm 46. Do not fear. Our Lord, I'm glad it's still up. Our Lord God is a refuge and a strength, uh, a very present help in trouble. We stay on course. We trust, we follow, we pray, we obey. At least that's what we should be doing. That's what the Christians should be doing. That's the life we should be living. 
A couple of comments here about Romans 8.28. First of all, God's idea of good is going to differ greatly with ours, <laughs> right? When we read the scripture, we know uh, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. When we hear that, we hope that he's saying um, my personal idea of good, right? What I think good should be in my life. That's what I want. That's, I mean, if we're going to be honest, isn't that what we, God wants? we want God to do what's good for me? Because we're selfish, right? We, we have this, this struggle, this ongoing struggle in our lives over selfishness. Um, and you will hear pastors and teachers claiming that God's blessing involves good health, money, prosperity. Uh, there, are, there are whole denominations that have sprung up around the idea, you know, name it, claim it, pray for it, prosperity gospel. It, it has all kinds of names and labels. Um, God is not interested in that. He's interested in your spiritual good. He's interested in making you uh, into his image, into the image of Christ. He's, he's interested in remaking you. Um, that's going to be painful. Remember I read that little, that little bit last week out of, um, um, oh gosh, what was his name? It just left me. Anybody remember? It, was it C.S. Lewis? I think it was. Anyway, it was about the little tin man being made. You're, am I, is that right? Yeah, Okay about the tin man being made into flesh and how painful that was. We want the good things and we think about the now, don't we? What's going on this week? What's going on next week, this month, this year? We worry about physical things. We worry about bills and health and, and food. And, and God will take care of those things in due time. Uh, maybe not necessarily the way we think that he will. But when we read this scripture and it says that God will work out all things for the good of those who love him, God has a different idea of good than we do. He's much more interested in refining your character. And like the story of that man of tin being changed into flesh, it's going to be painful, and at times we might not even want it or like it because we want our pleasures and we want our desires and we want our happiness and we want contentment. But God is more interested in refining our character for the life on this earth and for the life to come. That's because God has an eternal perspective. We think about today and tomorrow, um, and, and, and I shouldn't say it, but a lot of us are probably thinking about lunch. And if you weren't, now you are. Get it out of your system. Lunch is coming. It'll be there when we get done. We think about what's next. I don't know about you. I think about that a lot. Uh, Lydia and I have that conversation. She never asked the question I do. We wake up in the morning. I'm like, okay, what's on the schedule today? You know, halfway through the day, and I'm like, okay, what are we doing tonight? What are we doing tomorrow? What's coming up this weekend? And I'm always like planning and thinking. And I think that comes from like that, that strategic kind of mind of thinking, okay, what, what needs to, the pieces that need to fall into place for things to happen. Um, but if we're, if, we're, if we're not careful, um, we can get really hung up in that kind of stuff. We can get really hung up in the moment-to-moment, the day-to-day, the, the just living stuff. And God has an eternal perspective, and his idea of good will often greatly differ from ours. And the more, listen, the more we walk with God, we're reading through the Bible right now, reading through the New Testament, we'll start chapter 11 of Mark. I know some of us can't wait. Barbara's ahead. She told me on, on Saturday, she's like, I just can't stop reading, which that's great. <laughs> read ahead. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, some of us were behind yesterday. Me and Mike. Mike, are you back there? 
don't know. Where, oh, he's downstairs. Mike, you're downstairs. Sorry, I, I, I outed you. You and me were behind yesterday. Um, but walking with God and spending time in his word, spending time with his people, spending time worshiping, spending time serving like we did yesterday, serving our community with food and clothes, doing these things will bring us in line with what God has for his purposes in our lives. And they will change our perspective from the here and the now and the worries and concerns about the things that we want and think we need, uh, and it will shift our minds into the values that God values because his idea of good is different than ours. And maybe that's a prayer you've never prayed before. As we, as we think about this Romans 8.28 today, um, I'm struck with the idea, maybe I should pray, God, what's your good that you're working out in this? Because sometimes we don't see that good. We're too focused on other stuff. So God is working out good for those who are called according to his purposes, maybe not the way that we think he is because he has a different perspective. Secondly, and this is very important, um, this may be the most important part of the whole message. God blesses us most often in order to bless others. Um, do you ever get blessed and you hold on to the blessing, right? We, we, oh, this is my blessing. <laughs> My blessing of money, my blessing of whatever, my blessing of this great job, my blessing of this house or this place or, or whatever, fill in the blank. Mo- most often, God blesses us in order for us to bless somebody else. And maybe that's a second thing you write down after asking God about what his good he's working out is. Maybe we need to ask him, what is he blessing me with that I've been greedy and holding on to? What have I been selfishly holding on to? Thinking this is my blessing for me and mine when in fact God gave it to me so that I could bless somebody else with it. Um, We talked uh, a little bit about that last week, but I just want to unpack that for a second here um, and read a scripture. This scripture comes up a lot. James 4, 3, it says, You you ask and you do not receive receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, <laughs> right? Anybody, you, you ever guilty of that? You ask for something, you want something, you ask the Lord for it, Lord, can I have this? Uh, and, and when you get it, it, it it's, I want to spend it on me. Um, sometimes our prayers can be selfish, can't they? Our prayers can be selfish. And our desires can be selfish. But throughout the Old and New Testament, we can see that God has a purpose in blessing his people in order that they would bless others. Part of the promise God made to Abraham was that he would bless him, right? Remember uh, the story of Abraham? He said he would bless him and he would bless his family. But I want to read a little bit out of, out of Genesis 12, uh, one, and, um, 1 and 2, if you'll turn over there with me. This is really good because at the end of this, he tells you what the purpose of the blessing is. Uh, starting in Genesis 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abraham, what, Abram at that point, he hadn't changed his name, but he said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. Well, that sounds great, right? That sounds awesome. I will bless you. I will make your name great. Awesome. I would love that. So that you will be a blessing. God didn't bless Abram slash Abraham for Abraham's sake. (laughs) He didn't bless Abraham so that Abraham uh, could buy uh, a 60-inch or, or, or they're even bigger now, aren't they? Like an 80 inch. He, he didn't bless Abraham so he could buy 80 inch TV to replace his 60 inch TV. Anybody ever done that? They've, they have gotten so big. Um, I don't know if anybody does streaming, you watch different shows and, and stuff. If you go back far enough, the TVs are really small. 
You guys remember? Some of you may have never had one of those TVs. Um, we were watching a, a rehab show where they go into houses, they buy them, and then they rehab them, right? And this house they went into, it had um, a built-in entertainment center. But, but the square for the TV was like this big. And they looked at it and they're like, well, that's going to have to go. <laughs> you know, you can't fit an 80-inch screen in that little hole, right? I mean, things change. God has blessed Abram so that he would be a blessing. I think we can extrapolate from Scripture. If you have studied Scripture enough, you can see the pattern that God blesses us. He blesses you to bless others. He blesses this church in order to bless others. Um, He blesses us uh, financially. He blesses us with gifts. He blesses us with talents, abilities, all these different things in order that we share and 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 not just in in monetary sharing uh and in physical service sharing uh but also in gospel sharing right spreading the seed spreading the news of the gospel of jesus christ these are the things god has called us to share and he blesses us in order that we can bless others so question number two to add to your list of questions um what am i what am i holding on to what am i being blessed with that god wants me to bless others i don't want to be guilty the last thing I want to get, you remember I read that other story um, recently, and, and, and it was John Wesley, I think, if you guys remember correctly, and he said he didn't want to get to heaven, and the father say, well done, good and faithful servant, you spent your money on pictures for your wall. That hit me when I read that. I was like, oh no, <laughs> have I done that? Probably most undoubtedly. And so when we think about what we're being given and what we're supposed to use it for, we absolutely have to be going before the Father and saying, Father, what am I supposed to do with this? Uh, what, what part of this is mine and what part of this am I supposed to, to bless others? How am I supposed to use it? What am I supposed to use it for? What am I supposed to do with it? So don't forget to ask the Father um, how the blessing that you've been given it can be used to bless others. The third thing it says here, uh, well, actually, it's something it doesn't say. It doesn't say that all things are good. It doesn't say that everything is good. And I don't think that we have to look very far to find proof of that, right? Disease is not good. Um, a lot of things that are going on in our world are not good. COVID is not good. There's a lot of things that aren't good. Being hurt or mistreated isn't good. Uh, when we turn on the news and another horrible thing has happened um, and we ask ourselves, God, where are you? Why are you allowing this to happen? How could you let this happen? We want answers and we want an explanation, right? We, we're like, anybody ever ask God, why did, why, why? Why did you let this happen? The answer to this is going to lead us into the rest of this message. Those of you who are parents, do you love your children? Okay, I only heard one yes. The Mendax were notably quiet. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't hear the Regendrons. Oh, okay, there we go. (laughs) Do you love your children? Yes, you love your children. God loves his children too. What's one of the best ways we can show our children love? Discipline, that's a good one. Different message, but yes. (laughs) I like (laughs) discipline. (laughs) I was thinking allowing them to make mistakes, allowing them to grow, releasing the reins, letting them struggle, letting, and, and, and that's what the Father does for us. And, and here's, here's an interesting question. 
God gives us something very special called free will, allowing us to do as we want, choose to follow, choose to not follow, choose to love somebody, not to, pretty much he's given us free will. It's as if he said, okay, here is a, a planet, here children, you may live here. Would you do this with your children? Just go for it. What would happen if you just set your children free? You're free. Just go for it. Be chaos, Anna. What would it be like? <laughs> they would die. <laughs> they would die. <laughs> it would be chaos. Um, it, it would be nuts. But that's what the Father has done with us on this world. He has set us free. He said, here's a place I've created for you. I would love it if you would love me back. If you would follow me, if you would listen to my principles, my precepts, my laws, uh, read and understand my scripture, accept my son, Jesus Christ, as Savior, and walk with me and, and discover my will and discover how I can change you and bless you and grow you. Um, but he doesn't force that upon us. If we gave our children free will in all matters, it wouldn't be pretty, Right? And then we scratch our heads sometimes and wonder, why is the world so messed up? I think you figured it out. <laughs> it's that way because God allowed it. God gave us free will. And that is one of the, the, the best proofs, I think, for the goodness of God. He is a good God because he doesn't want to control you. He doesn't want you to be his puppet. He's not a puppet master creator. Anybody ever been to a puppet show? The puppet master creates the puppets and he puts on the strings and then he stands behind a screen and he dangles the puppet out there and the puppet does uh, what he wants or the kind where you put your hand inside and you know, use the little sticks for the hands. Somebody else is in control. Our God is not a God who wants to control us. He has given us free will. Can you imagine the results of what that would look like? <laughs> Actually, I'm not sure we could because every time we turn on the TV and something bad happens, we're like, I could have never imagined that happening. It can get worse. It might get worse. It probably will get worse. I don't know. I'm not up here being a doomsayer. The, the good or bad condition of our world, um, that's going to happen because God loves us and because God is a good God and because he's given us freedom to choose whether to love him and follow him or not. Isn't that interesting perspective, isn't it? So why does it make a difference in our lives whether we believe God is good or not? <laughs> because only a good God would give freedom to his creation. Only a good God would allow his creation to live and flourish and either choose to seek or not to seek him. Only a good God would send his son, his only son, to rescue us from our sin to rescue us from the brokenness that he knew certainly was going to happen when he released his children uh, with no limits on the earth. <laughs> Oof, that's a scary thought, releasing your children with no limits. But that's what God has done for us. So this leaves us with another question, doesn't it? Um, where is God's goodness in affliction and suffering? This is one of the big questions throughout uh, time uh, people are like, well, why would a good, good God allow suffering? Why would a good God allow affliction? God is good. Bad things happen. Why do bad things happen? Because sin is free in the world. Because of freedom. Because of freedom. Because of free will. 
God is working through all the events of our lives, happy, sad, pleasant, unpleasant, joyful, sorrowful, terrible, to bring an end result in us, which he says will be good. But again, that's not a comfort good, that's not a, a prestige good, a career good, that's a spiritual good, that's a, 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 a molding, a shaping into the image of Christ good. That's the good that he desires to bring up out of the ashes. It's hard to see how God could take a terrible situation and turn it into a good situation, but um, there are people in this room who have been there, who have seen that, who have done that who have seen God work in the terrible things and in the bad things. James 1, uh, verses 2 and 4, and then I'm going to skip to 12, says this. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy, everybody. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. I don't think we like that verse. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see, the, tri- the trials, the struggles, the problems uh, are all part of God's molding and crafting and shaping of us. Some of them he allows. Some of them, punishment. <laughs> Thank you, Zoila, for pointing that out. Discipline. Some of those he employs on his own all in order to make us into what he wants us to be. Verse 12 in James 1 says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. If we stand steadfast in the trials, in the problems, in uh, all of the things that are going on in this life, we receive a crown of eternal life. We all have tests. Uh, we all have tests of some type. Anybody not being tested today? Nope, nobody raised their hand. <laughs> We're all being tested in some way today. We're some kind of test. We're under. What difference does having this James 1, I, I call it the James 1, 2 through 4 attitude. What is it having this attitude? And to remind you what that is, it's counting it all joy in times of trouble and tests and strife. What is having this uh, this attitude in our life, what, what difference does it make? Here's what difference it makes. We don't have to worry about whether God has our best at heart if we believe that he has our best at heart. We don't have to worry about uh, what's going to happen today. We don't have to plan the day necessarily. I mean, we've got to do some plans, right? We've got to know where we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to do. But we don't have to worry about the outcomes. We don't have to, to stress out uh, about the circumstances and it gives me hope for the future. Have you ever been in a situation where everything was bad, the walls were crumbling, it was just, it was coming down all around you, and you were steadfast in the love of God, and He carried you through it? Anybody ever had that experience? I see Michelle shaking her head. I've had that experience. Many of us have, have, have been there. This is what having this kind of attitude can bring in our life. If we're confident that God is a good law, God, a God who loves me, who can take the worst imaginable situation and turn it for good, then we, uh, we can have peace, we can have trust, we can have joy in the circumstances of our lives. We know He will take care of us. We can look beyond the imperfect of the now with anticipation for the perfection of what God has planned in the future. Remembering 
that his molding and shaping of us right now is primarily to make us into the image of Christ, not to give us a nicer car or a bigger TV or more stuff. I'm going to play a video. You guys got that video ready? Okay, go for it. Play that video. Is God good? If he is, why is there suffering and evil? Let's assume for the moment that God is all-powerful. This means that God can do anything that is logically possible. So he can create galaxies and subatomic particles and rainforests and you. But God cannot do what is logically impossible. He cannot make a square circle or a one-ended stick. So can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? No. So what if when God created human beings, he wanted them to be free? Freedom's a good thing, but if humans are to be free, they cannot be forced to obey God because freedom without choice is like a square circle. It's a logical contradiction. No choice, no freedom. God didn't want robots. He wanted real people. The first humans endowed with the awesome power of free choice abused their freedom. The tragic consequences of their bad choice and our bad choices ripple across the world. God is responsible for the fact of freedom, but humans are responsible for their acts of freedom. But let's remember, we don't suffer alone. God will put an end to suffering and evil. And God became a man to suffer with us. God is good, and he wants real people like you to know him. But the free choice is yours. <laughs> One of my favorite stories in the Bible that, that really boils down this whole idea of everything we've talked about is the story of Joseph. And so I'm going to read just a tiny little bit here, and then I'm going to tell the story as briefly as I can. I'm not going to read it all because it's about 20 chapters long. Everybody was like, whew, <laughs> I'm glad he's not reading that whole thing. Although, I mean, I could if you want. Um, okay, so these are the sons of Jacob, um, and he had 12. The sons of Jacob through Leah were Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel uh, and Jacob were Joseph and Benjamin. Sons of Billah, Rachel's servant through Jacob, were Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant through Jacob, were Gad and Asher. So these are the 12 sons of Jacob. You notice uh, Joseph and Benjamin uh, were two of those. For some reason, as it is true in, in everybody's lives, people make bad choices. <laughs> And his father decided that Joseph was his favorite. I'm not sure that was a, it, it's dangerous playing favorites with your children. I'm um, not going to question him too much. That was up to him. He made that choice. But to display to the other 11 that he was the favorite, he gave him a special coat. <laughs> a coat of many colors, a rainbow coat. And, and he would wear it. And could you imagine? I mean, it's, it's almost like you're setting Joseph up uh, for a problem. One day he sends Joseph out to the field to check on the flocks. He goes out to the field to check on the flocks and the brothers are there and they see him coming and they said, here comes the favorite. Let's, let's do something to him, <laughs> right? 
And so they capture him, they take his coat, they throw him into a pit, they tear the coat up, they kill an animal and put blood on the coat. What a terrible trick to play on your parents. They sell Joseph into slavery, and he's gone. They take the coat back to dad and say, sorry, dad, your favorite died. And he goes in the morning pretty much for the rest of his life. Um, we'll pick up with Joseph, sold into slavery, sold into, uh, by the slave traders into slavery in Egypt, finds himself in the home of a man named Potiphar. Uh, Potiphar is a, a man in the kingdom of Egypt who has a pretty high rank, uh, and he me immediately notices because of God's blessings on Joseph that Joseph's a guy that can get things done. Um, he uh, is blessed, and everything he puts his hand to is good. And so he elevates him within his house, as Scripture says, to the point where Potiphar didn't have to worry about anything except what he was going to eat that day. Joseph took care of everything else. Now, Potiphar's wife had his, her, her eye on Joseph because Scripture said Joseph was a good-looking dude. Uh, so one day, Potiphar was away, uh, and I think this happened over a course of time Potiphar's wife kept throwing herself at Joseph, and he kept saying, no, no, he was a stand-up guy. He wasn't going to do anything. One day, uh, she makes advances to Joseph. Uh, Joseph says no. Uh, she hears somebody coming in. She grabs his coat, and he leaves. And so she's got incriminating evidence, right? Not that coat of many colors that's gone, just whatever he was wearing. He runs off. She gives him the coat, and she said, Joseph, you're... you're your slave leader in the house tried to have his way with me. Of course, they believe her because she grabbed his clothes while he was leaving. They banish him to prison. So you see Joseph's life already is like this, right? Favorite in the pit, elevated at Potiphar. Now he's in prison. In prison, guess what happens? He's God's special person in that place. And God's blessing on him is quickly recognized by the jailer to the point that the jailer elevates him within the prison. I didn't know this was even a thing. He was like the lead prisoner, basically, right? He took care of stuff. He was the guy that could get things done. Um, and so he didn't have any troubles in prison. He didn't have to worry about anything. And he had this special gift. He could interpret dreams. And so the prisoners would come to him and they'd say, hey, Joseph, I had a dream. And he'd say, what is, you know, here's what, he'd tell them what it was. And Joseph said, oh, it means this. Well, that word kind of filtered its way up to, to the top of the prison where everybody there knew. Um, one day, two guys were thrown into the prison who served in the king's court. I'm not going to tell you the whole story with that. Uh, but they both had dreams. Joseph interpreted, said one of them was going to be forgiven and released and go back into service. The other was going to die. Exactly that thing happened. The jailer noted, the people in the court noted uh, that this had happened. A couple years later, the, the man at the top of the pile, the Pharaoh himself, has a dream. Uh, and all of his magicians, all of his uh, people who worked with him and for him and under him tried as they could to interpret this dream for him. They were unable to. And it's at that point the man who was forgiven and is now back in the service of the Pharaoh remembers, hey, there's this guy, Pharaoh, in the prison who can reveal the meaning of dreams. 
So they called Joseph out of the prison, bring him into the court before the Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him the dream. I'm not going to go through the whole dream. But suffice to say, the dream interpreted was there was going to be seven years of famine coming. There were going to be fat years. There were going to be lean years. And it, I thought it was interesting. I was reading through this, and Pharaoh didn't ask for the solution. He just asked for the interpretation of the dream. But if you read this yourself later today, you'll notice that, that Joseph interprets the dream, and then at the end of it, he tells Pharaoh, hey, and here's what you should do about it, which I thought was bold. Pharaoh heard not only the interpretation of the dream, but the wisdom in the solution. And guess what? Through God's blessing on Joseph, Pharaoh did. He, he elevated Joseph to the second, out of, out of prison, to second in all of Egypt. And it says in Scripture, you will ride in the second chariot. I'm assuming Pharaoh rode in the first chariot when they went places. Joseph rode in the second chariot. Uh, he, was the big, he was the big cheese. And he led Egypt to save food during the fat years in order to feed Egypt during the lean years that would come. And exactly what he foretold from the dream came to pass. Now, back in the place where the 11 and, and, and Jacob were living, they had a famine there too. In fact, Scripture says it was a worldwide famine. So they were hungry. They heard Egypt had food. They went to Egypt to ask for food. When they got to Egypt, Joseph recognized them. You've got to understand, I'm, I'm, I'm way abridging 20 chapters here. This is like the, the, the cliff cliff notes of the 20 chapters. He recognizes them, and he kind of plays with them a little bit. He has them. They don't know who he is. They can't tell who he is, probably because he's got, you know, he's probably got guy liner, you know, the lead. And I don't know what he's got in his hair, and he's probably real tan because he's been out in the sun in Egypt tanning. I don't know. But they don't recognize their brother for some reason. So he plays with them. Um, a couple different things he does. But one he does is when they leave with the grain, he sneaks some of the, uh, of the pharaoh's silver into their bags as they're leaving. They don't know what's in there. And then he tells the guards to search him on the way out. Of course, find the silver. He throws them all into prison. Um, the part of the story I didn't tell you is that they left the one son, the new favorite son, the new baby, the other baby, if you will, Benjamin, back with parents. Only the, the ten came. So he says, if you bring Benjamin back, you know, then I'll, I'll let you go. So it all kind of works out. Benjamin comes, end up, the uh, father comes. Um, they're forgiven. They see, they see Joseph. He reveals himself to him. They all have a good cry. Jacob, their father, moves all of the people, all 12, well, the 11, and all their families and all the herds and everything's to Egypt. This is the story, that, if you will, it, that, that explains how the people of Israel came into slavery in Egypt later when Moses takes them out. This is how they got there. So it had a good side and it had a bad side. <laughs> um, Jacob came... Uh, and they were living there. Jacob died. When he died, the, the 11 were worried at that point that, well, now that Jacob's dead, uh, Joseph might not honor his, pro his promise to keep us alive. He has no reason not now to punish us for our deceit in selling him to slavery. And that's what I want to read because this really, it, this encapsulates everything we've talked about today. It's in chapter 50 of verse 20. 
is Joseph addressing his brothers. Actually, I'm going to back up to 18. It says, His brothers came and fell down before him. Behold, we are servants. Um, and he says, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? For you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph was able to look back on his whole life. The, the, he was the, the favored son sold into slavery in the pit. <laughs> he was the, the leader of this household in control of everything. Now he's in prison. He's at the second in command in Pharaoh. And then we'll see as that declines later into Egypt enslaving the people of Israel because of the number of people that, that grew out of those 12. Um, there's this up and down and up and down. But Joseph's able to look back over all of it and say, what you 11, 10 actually meant for, because Benjamin wasn't part of the throwing him in the pit. But what you guys meant for evil, God intended for good. Do you think it felt good in the prison? Those of you who have siblings, do you, do you think it felt good in the pit? <laughs> Hannah, Hannah's like walking away. Caitlin's in the pit and she's like, ho, 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 ho. Grace is walking off and David's in the pit. Did it feel good? Would it feel good to be in the pit, David? You know, David, you're going to be sold into slavery. You're going to be trucked off, off to some other country and have to learn a new language and go to prison again. I mean, it, there were times in that that I'm sure he felt like he was at the top of the world. There were times he felt like he was at the bottom. God meant it for good. What am I driving at here? There's so many things I could say, but the one I want I to I land on is this. Don't let the, the feelings or the confusion or the misunderstanding of the moment, what's happening in the moment, color everything that God is doing in your life. Because we can get bitter, we can get frustrated, we can get upset in that moment when it's bad and when it's broken and when it's messy and when we're hurt. Don't let that color what God is doing because of what we read in Romans. God is working out all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Does it feel bad right now? Hold on. God's doing something great. He's always doing something great. He's molding you, he's shaping you, and he's working all around you. Just ask him, what am, I, what am I not seeing? Where am I not finding out what you're doing? God, change my heart and my attitude that I not be a complainer. How many of you have complained in the last 10 months? I've complained some, some. I try not to. Some of us might have complained a lot in the last 10 months. I don't know. What is God doing in the midst of this time to sharpen us and to prepare us as his people to do something greater than we were able to do before? All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what it teaches us. I thank you for the, the power in that story of Joseph and all that transpired in his life and the ups and the downs and the fact that throughout all of it he was able to see your fingerprints he was able to follow your leading he was able to see 
uh, what you were doing. And when he looked back over all of it, he was able to forgive those who wronged him and wronged him terribly. The, the only worst thing I think they could have done was possibly just killed him straight out. But he was able to look back and see over the course of his life that all of the good things and all of the bad things had been worked together for, for his good, but not just his own good. That he might be a blessing, and, and in his own words, that many, many people lived that would have died otherwise. And so, Lord, what are you doing in our lives today? Help us to see that. What are you doing in our lives? Change our hearts, our minds, our attitudes. Help us to see what you're doing. Help us to see the fingerprints. Lord, may we be found uh, faithful with what you've given us. And may we not hold back that which we have been blessed with when we're supposed to bless others. Lord, thank you for teaching us all of these things today in your word. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.